the Lord is doing something in me. And I'm happy that he does this. Because when he does this, and I'm experiencing it, I think it makes it a little bit easier for me to communicate to you my heart for you because it lines up with the heart of the Father. And what I, what I don't want to do <clears throat> is force anybody to um, have to experience what I experience, but what I desire for you is to experience what the Lord wants you to experience and for you to be completely and totally open to allowing him to speak to you, to move in you, to move through you, and to do his work. And so, without going too much into any kind of background detail, um, it's a big deal for me to be up here right now. And again, I don't want to make it about me, but the best way I know how to describe what I'm going to talk about is by talking about it through the lens of my experience and then showing it to you through the lens of the scriptures. And so you see this word on the screen and um, depending on what area you're from or maybe whatever churches you may have attended in the past, this may be a very scary word to you or depending on how you've experienced this, this word and in what context it Um, It may make you uneasy because you know the Lord's about to mess you up. Or you could be at a place to where you're like, yes, I want the Lord to show me how, where, and when. And I will do that because I know that's what he wants for me. And that's a scary place of trust, but I believe that it exists. And so just over the past month or so, Um, Well, this entire process of leading up into being here in this place, doing this service, and me stepping back into this kind of role, teaching and leading, and if you want to call me pastor, that's fine. (laughs) Um, This entire process for me has been a process of repentance, and I'm going to dive into what that word means uh, a little bit later, but it's it's been a process, and I've continually had to come to a place to where I'm repenting and repenting and repenting. And on a foundational level, all that means is it's a continual changing of my mind. I thought one way about something, and then I considered my thoughts on the way that I thought one way about something. And those thoughts and that consideration led me to then think differently than I thought before. Is that confusing or is that clear? I used to think this way, now I think this way. That's probably a little more clear. (laughs) Clearer. I don't know what the, I don't know English. So, (laughs) so I've had to process through the way that I, I, the things that I believe, but not only that, the things that I believe about God and who he is, and also who he says that I am. And I believe that that's a, that's a continual, not a struggle, but a a good wrestle. It's a good wrestling when we continue to consider who the Father is and based on who He is, how does what are the implications? How does that what are the consequences or the effects of those thoughts 
on my life. Because Jesus confronted first his disciples and then he confronted the masses and he challenged their thinking with phrases. Has anybody ever just made a statement and you thought, man, that really made me think, right? And it, it, it began to change your, the way you thought, your paradigm. Like you used to see the world through a certain lens. Somebody said something, it affected you in such a way that now you see the world through a different lens. And you're like, whoa, that's very interesting. And so we all come into this place this morning having viewed the world through different lenses and different contexts, through different worldviews, through different experiences and different relationships so that all of those things together create the lens through which we view the world, the lens through which we view ourselves, and the lens through which we view God, the lens through which we view the church, the lens through which we view Christianity and discipleship and repentance. And so I've been in, in a very challenging place. And if you've been with us through the past year, you've all been challenged in one way or another. And I'll tell you that there are often times where the challenge sucks. Where I don't like having my belief systems challenged. I don't like having my theology challenged. I don't like having my walk with Christ challenged. I don't like having my comfort challenged. But I've put myself, the Lord has led me to a place to where he's began to challenge me and he's challenging my thinking and he's doing it through scripture. How about that? How about that? (laughs) He's doing it through scripture. I'm actually nervous. I can't drink my cup without shaking my hand. Interestingly, this doesn't happen to me. Um, well, apparently it does because it's happening now. <laughs> but I've, he's brought me to a place to where he's challenged me. And, and, and so just the other night, I was reading, my script, I was reading scripture and um, something happened earlier that day and I had a conversation with somebody or was listening to a podcast or doing something and there was a seed planted in me that I haven't experienced that birthed something in me that I haven't experienced in quite some time. I was on my way home and I thought, I cannot wait to lay down and get in bed. And that's, that's a typical thought. Normally the statement says, man, I can't wait to get home and go to sleep. I'm stinking tired. And the thing that was new for me was, I thought, I can't wait to get home and read my Bible. And that was very different. Because in the past, I've read my Bible and it's been good. And even with wrong motives... And, and, and wrong intentions, the Lord has moved through the scriptures. And he's moved in me and he's done things in me. And then there, I've been in an unhealthy place where I've said, well, I'm going to read my Bible because I want to be able to say that I've read my Bible today. Check. And that something new in me was the Lord leading me to the scriptures. And he's saying, I have something to show you. I have something that you're going to wrestle with. I'm going to, I have something that I want to show you that's going to challenge you. It's going to change the way you think. It's going to change the way that you see things. And so he led me. So I began to, to work through scripture. He led me to these different places that talk about repentance. And specifically, 
He led me to uh, Mark 1.15. I'll read that, and then after that we'll read Matthew 4.17. I have seven scriptures here that we're going to read that deal with repentance and the kingdom of heaven. And so Mark chapter 1, verse 15 says this, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent, there's that word, and believe in the good news. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. And let me read it in Matthew 4.17. It's similar, but it it has a difference that I want to point out. Matthew 4.17, from then on Jesus began to preach, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent, comma, because there's a why. There's a why. And so what I want to do for just a moment, is I want to talk about this word repentance, and then we're going to talk about why we repent, and we're going to talk about what the kingdom of heaven having come near means. And so this, I'm, I'm a word guy. When I, when I study the scriptures, one of, my, uh, one of my go-to tools is something called the interlinear Bible. Uh, I was hanging out with Rocky the other night. He was like, what tools do you use when you study the Bible? And uh, one, the Bible, Rocky, come on. And then two... <laughs> And then two, I use the interlinear Bible, which then leads you to like the Strong's Concordance. And so you can look up each word and it has a number and that word has a definition. And I love to deep dive deep down into the words because words have meaning and words have power. And words have the power to change and to move and to shift and to shape, to help, to heal, to hurt, right? And so this word repentance... Jesus begins to preach. He begins his ministry. He had, he, Jesus had spent 40 days in the desert duking it out with Satan. He comes out on top, right? He quotes scripture, but not only does he quote scripture, he obeys it, which allows him to defeat Satan, right? Obedience to scripture. There's power in that. And then he begins to preach. And the first statement we see recorded of his ministry after having been tempted in the desert is repent. Because the kingdom of heaven has come near. And so that word, when he uses that word repent, basically what he's saying, he's saying change your mind. And when I look it up, it says the the Greek word for if you care or not. Sometimes I use Greek words, maybe you never do. Uh, The word is metanoia. It's broken down into two places. The first part is meta, which means change, changed after being with. You've Been with something and now you're changed. Have you ever been with somebody in a relationship? And when you were out of that relationship, you were different. I've experienced that before. Not in a good way. And then this other word, noia, means to think. And so literally this word means changed after being with thinking. It's very interesting. Have you spent time with thinking? Have you spent time considering? Have you spent time meditating? Blessed are those who meditate on the word day and night, for they are like trees planted by streams of water. Blessed are those who consider and think upon and meditate upon the word of God. Because after having spent time with thinking and considering and pondering, we're changed. That's repentance. 
Sometimes repentance comes with weeping and wailing. <laughs> Sometimes repentance mean, comes with, yeah, you're right. I'm wrong. And yeah, that's good. That's good to know. We'll move forward. Sometimes repentance comes, and in this case, it comes with an entire challenge, with a challenge to your entire paradigm shift, to your paradigm, challenging you to shift your entire paradigm. You know what I mean by paradigm? Your kingdom, your world, your thoughts, your relationships, your estate, the things you own, the job you work, the way, the lens through which you viewed the world. Jesus is saying, change that lens because the kingdom of heaven is here. And if, we don't, if, you, if you don't know this, I want to give you just a little bit of insight into this, is that when Jesus came speaking these words and saying, there's good news, believe in the good news, the kingdom of God has come, he's speaking out a political statement because he's coming to disrupt and to destroy the established order of things. And what had happened with the Jewish established order is that Pharisees and religious people had rose up and they had looked holy and they had a form of godliness, but they denied its power and they were oppressive to the people because they set a standard and a rule that can never be met by people except for them, except those who set the rule and the order couldn't live up to it either. So there was a religious establishment that Jesus was speaking out against and then there was a political establishment that he was speaking out against. The Jews at this point in time had been subject to Roman rule and there was Roman reign and so essentially what what Rome was doing, they were trying to disciple this nation of people to make them Romans. So you've got the religious order clashing with the political order. No, the Bible's not relevant. Oh, it was written thousands of years ago. There's no, there's no relevance. Religious order clashing with the political order. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's throw that out the window. Here's the good news. Change your mind because there's, <laughs> so cheesy, there's a new sheriff in town. There's a new kingdom establishment. There's a new kingdom order. So let's talk about this. He said there's a new, it's the kingdom of heaven. Now let me tell you, right now with your physical eyeballs, look, I can touch my eyeball. With your physical eyeballs, can you see the kingdom of heaven? Now, some of you in here, with your spiritual eyeballs, can you see the kingdom of heaven? He says it's near. He says it's among us. It has come. The time has been, been fulfilled. The kingdom of God is here. It's a, it's a now but a not yet. It's a not a physical kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom. If anyone, if anyone would, would uh, go to the Father, he must be born again, born of spirit, born of water. So our entrance into that kingdom is a supernatural, miraculous, spiritual rebirth do we understand this? Right? Who was the guy that said, surely you can't go into your mother's womb a second time and be born again? Well, no, we're not talking about physical. We're talking about spiritual. It's a spiritual kingdom. And let me tell you, for way too long, I've seen the world with these eyeballs and I've failed to engage and activate my spiritual eyes to see the kingdom of heaven at work. 
I pray your kingdom come, but then I continue to see my kingdom in my world with my physical fleshly eyes. I get comfortable. And I get selfish. Right? And so Jesus, when he calls people to repent, he's saying, take everything you know. And this was new at that time. This was very new. Here comes this rabbi showing up, preaching this message, raising people from the dead, healing the blind and the lame and the deaf, doing miracles, walking, passing through crowds, not going around, not eluding, passing through. Right? Here we have this rabbi who's doing these miraculous things and he's challenging the established order. And so this is what the Father has done with me in these past couple months is he's, he's challenged my established order. And all of the things that, that I've been a part of like over the year, I, I've stepped out of multiple things because I feel like the Lord's saying, you need to, get, you need to let that go. You just want glory. Right? I just want to paint a mural because I want my name on it. So then people can say, hey, Jason painted that mural actually had a lot less to do with me caring about the community than it did me wanting to be recognized for my skills. It helps the community, but it was selfish. And I have all these things that I began to give up, and I thought that giving up these things was the worst thing in the world, except it was what the Lord wanted for me. He was, he was attacking, and not in a bad way, challenging my established world. Something I struggled with, with repentance in the past, is why I would repent. And we all have our sins. We all have our things that we don't tell anybody, or maybe we found one or two people that we've talked to it about. Maybe you're open. Maybe you don't have sin. Maybe the Lord, man, you're in a good place. Right? Or it's not an overt sin, or whatever it is. I've had sin that has made me feel guilty and has brought shame into my life, has robbed me, right? Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wanted to steal my confidence and my boldness in Christ so he could kill my ministry and destroy my family. Kill my mission, destroy my purpose. And so this word, repent because. And so I would take my sin to the Father... And I would say, God, can you deal with this? I feel so bad. Well, who did I just make that about? I feel bad. I have sin I feel bad about. I have sin that brings me shame. I have sin that brings me guilt. I don't want to feel guilty anymore. I don't want to feel shame anymore. I don't want to hurt my wife. When did, it ever, when did I ever make it about, Father, I've sinned against you and you alone. And because you've commanded me to repent... Because the kingdom of heaven is here, right? I found myself in these times of repentance, weeping and crying and saying, this is the time, Lord, this is the time. I turn away, I turn away. But what I realized is I was attacking only the sin that had to do with my comfort and my feelings. Right? I just didn't want to feel bad anymore. I didn't want to get caught and look like an idiot. That's me, that's me. That, Jesus didn't say, repent so that you'll feel better about yourself. Repent so that you don't feel that guilt anymore. Repent so that 
You don't feel shame. Why did he say repent? Because the kingdom of heaven has come near. He says there's an, there's an, an entirely new way of things. Right? Before with the religious order, the religious order, you rise up through the ranks by doing the works and looking the part. And you could be a whitewashed tomb and dead on the inside. But you could still rise through the ranks. It happens. Pastors fall. They cheat on their wives. They sleep with their secretaries. They embezzle money. They rise through the ranks by doing the right thing, except they're dead on the inside. Right? They've maybe changed their outward actions, but they've neglected to wash the inside of the cup is what Jesus is saying. He says, pour it out. Get rid of it all. The old ways, the old thoughts. And I think for too long we've seen this Christian walk as a, if I do this and, th- and if I do this, then I will achieve this thing. But that's not what the kingdom of God says. The, Jesus, the, the kingdom of God says Jesus has and Jesus done, has done and so now you are. It's a different kingdom. It's, a, it's faith. It's by faith. If you believe in your heart, God raised Jesus from the dead. You confess with your mouth, right? By faith. It's not by works. And so he's saying it's a kingdom of love. Jesus goes on to model the kingdom. It's a kingdom of healing. It's a king, kingdom of of restoration. It's a kingdom where the oppressed are set free. It's a kingdom where chains are broken. It's a kingdom where the Spirit of the Lord is. There's freedom. It's a kingdom where the religious order and the political order cannot stop the body of Christ from fulfilling their mission, regardless of throwing them into jail or killing them or hanging them upside down on a cross or cutting their head off or setting them on fire. Do you know this is our church history? Our brothers who have gone before us met this fate. Yet we're here because this is the kingdom. And there's so much more on the kingdom. But the, rep- the repentance that I'm talking about that has challenged me so much is not a repentance that just attacks one thing, but a repentance that works through my entire life. Every single part of my life. I'm going to skip down. To Matthew 13.33. Rebecca, if you'll find that, I skipped way ahead. Oh no, I didn't read my other scriptures. Sorry. Matthew 13.33. Check this out. The kingdom of heaven is like... He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven... Heaven and leaven. Is like leaven that a woman took and mixed to 50 pounds of flour until all of it was leavened. Another one says she took a small... Lump of yeast, and she worked and she worked it through the entire batch of bread. Do you guys understand this this thought process? You have a batch of dough. Take a little bit of yeast. That's the kingdom. The dough cannot help but be affected by the entire lump. Jesus then said, interestingly enough, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees' religious order. Beware of the yeast of Herod, political order. Beware of these kingdoms, lest they invade and take over and rule your life. And I've been bound to a religious order through my works, 
through my presentation of self, through my hiding behind my work so that I look the part, yet on the inside I'm dying. We've all been there. Maybe you're there right now. But the kingdom and the repentance works through every part of our life. And so I'm not just giving up this one thing that causes me guilt. I'm allowing the Father to invade every crevice of sin, every crack of darkness and selfishness and soulishness and flesh that he wants to invade. This is the type of repentance that Jesus is talking about. He says, repent. Give your entirety over to what the kingdom of God will be. He says in Matthew 16, 24. You have to go back a couple. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. There's another one that says, unless you bear your cross daily, you cannot be my disciple. Now Jesus modeled what the cross was. He didn't just tell us to do something and not go do it himself. He died on a cross. He looked out at those who had accused him, who had yelled crucify him, and essentially led him to his death. And murder on a cross. And he said forgive them for they know not what they do. He died in our place. So that we might be made right with the father. It was a sacrificial love. It was a love. That was motivated. And accelerated. By the love of the father for his children. For his people. Sacrifice motivated. By love. And so he says that we cannot be his disciple unless we deny ourself. Deny ourself. Scripture says, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the flesh, you'll live. Right? And I began to get challenged by this. This word deny suggests to strongly reject the source of self. To deny self. Deny himself. Strongly reject the source of himself, of oneself, of yourself, of your sinful desires, your sinful motivations, your selfish actions, the things that move you and and make you have your being, right? So he then goes on and says this, Luke 14.33. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Them strong words, right? I mean, this is Jesus. Do you see why I'm challenged by this? I was challenged by this. I was up late one night reading these scriptures, and I was in bed trying to fall asleep. I couldn't fall asleep. It's 1245. I'm mad because I'm awake still. I go and lay on the couch, and I just begin to wrestle, and I think, and I consider, and I spend time thinking and considering and pondering these things. And by the Lord's grace and by the Holy Spirit in me, continuing this work of sanctification and bearing fruit and keeping with repentance, I'm different now than I was when I laid down on that couch. Therefore, anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, I'll tell you right now, Jesus wasn't saying to everybody in that moment, go and sell all your possessions. He was saying, renounce them. He's saying, disown them. Does this own you or do you own it? Does your house own you or do you own your house? Does your car own you or do you own your car? 
Does your social media own you or do you own your social media? Does your mind own you or do you own your mind? Does yourself own you or do you own yourself? He says, deny, right? Renounce. And so we see later on, those who believed in Jesus, in the book of Acts chapter 2, we see descriptors of the church, and then it says that they sold all that they had so that no one was without. So people had a heart posture of not being owned by things. And I took this even a step further, and in a time of prayer the other day, I began to disown and renounce all that I owned, and all that I loved, and all that I liked, and all that I enjoyed. And I'm not saying that we can't have enjoyment, we can't have pleasure, but what I'm telling you is that social media was a double-edged sword, and the, and the bad side was very sharp, and the good side was very dull. And food is wonderful, and I love coffee, and sometimes I love it too much so that it becomes an idol. And my body is detoxing from caffeine, and my body is detoxing from sugar. And so what I've realized in all these areas of my life, I, I took this to mean not just my things, but I had to disown. I disowned my iPad. I disowned my phone. I disowned my car. Jesus, if you tell me to give it up, I'll give it up. Before, I wasn't ready to give things up. But you told me that if I'm going to be your disciple, I have to get to a place to where I'm okay with leaving it all behind. I have to get to a place to where I'm okay with repenting and allowing your kingdom to be the kingdom that rules and reigns in my life. And I come into agreement with that in this world. And I say it's no longer about me chasing the things that I think are going to fulfill my life. But I step fully into, there's no half, right? Unless you disown all of, not 99% and you keep the 1% because you deserve it. You know how much power is in the 1% of sacrifice? I heard a pastor, his name, his name is Jeff, really, really amazing guy. So in Wichita, the solar eclipse was 96, 97%, right? But then there were places where the eclipse was like 100% totality, totally blacked out. And he said he went to see it like in Kansas City or something. He said the difference between 100% blackout and 96% blackout is night and day. You cannot keep the 4%. You cannot keep the 3%. You cannot keep the 2%. You cannot keep the 1%. You cannot keep the 0.01%. You cannot keep the 0.00001%. The 0000, you get the picture. But here's the beauty of it. Is that when we trade, there's that word, when we disown our possessions and we trade our lives... Jesus also said, if any man come after me, he must deny himself, right? Unless you lose your life for my sake, right, you'll never find it. And if you, well, what do you say? <laughs> Let me get this right. Lose your life for my sake and you'll find it. If you try and keep and save your own life, you'll lose it. He said, what good is it if a man gains the world, different kingdom, what good is it for you to gain the world, the kingdom, and forfeit your soul? He calls us to that full repentance, to the fullness of it. And I can tell you that I got to a point where I was saying, I want what's on the other side of that. I want what's on the other side. And it's not that, it's not that I have like 
What do I have to gain? Well, all these things. We have glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Jesus went to make a place. His Father's house has many rooms. We'll get crowns of righteousness, crowns of glory. We'll get all these things. But even in Revelation, it says the elders cast their crowns before the Lord. All that we give, we get ends up going to the Lord. We store treasures in heaven, but it's still for his glory, right? It's for his glory. And so, for his glory. Am I, does, is my life a life that is used to magnify God and point people to his kingdom and to say your will be done on earth as it is in heaven to position myself as ambassador of Christ making God's appeal through me to man? Am I or am I not a servant of the most high God? Am I here to please man or am I here to please God? If I was here to please man, I wouldn't be a servant of God. And I begin to consider these things and I'm saying, I've been doing this too long. How many of you have been doing this too long? You know what this is? Been doing this too long. And it was a beautiful thing that the Lord invited me into this. He showed me through his scripture. He said, I'm going to challenge you. You want to be my disciple? And this is something I've prayed recently. Lord, I want to be your disciple. And he says, well, let me show you what that's going to cost. Salvation is free. Following Christ costs us everything. But, but, I know it sounds terrible, but it's an amazing thing. It's like the best thing you could possibly do for yourself. Who wants to be owned by stuff? Who wants to be owned by self? When I was owned by self, do you know what I did? What have you done having been owned by yourself? When you allow your sinful desires and your sinful selfish nature to rule and to reign and to take you the places that it wanted to go to hurt the people that it wanted to hit, hurt to gain the things it wanted to gain. Let me tell you, there's nothing there except for guilt and shame that we carry with us through our whole life. Yet we're like dogs and we return to our vomit, as Proverbs says. It's terrible. It's terrible. Spiritually, if we do this, we, yeah, it's gross. But I got to the point, I said, I'm sick of that. I want this, Lord. I want your kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done. If we've ever prayed that, have you really considered what that means? But let me tell you, it's a much better place. God, I mean, even just on a small scale, it's so nice not being on social media. And again, it's double-edged. Maybe the good side is 90% good for you and 10% bad, and you continue to function that way. I'm not putting my convictions on you, but you know the areas of your life where self controls you. And Jesus said, you must take up your cross daily. We have to continue to die to those things. And it's a death that challenges self. But let me tell you, we trade this world and we gain the kingdom. And the kingdom is glorious. And the kingdom is beautiful. And the kingdom is filled with joy. In your, pre- in your presence is fullness of joy. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, oh my God, the peace of God. If you've ever experienced just one moment where, you've, where you're able to escape the craziness of life, if you've ever been able to just slow down and shut your mind off and say, shut up, Satan, not today, right? Wear the t-shirt, get the mug. <laughs> not today, Satan. Shut up, self. Oh gosh, Turn, somebody turn the TV off. You get to a place and you just take a breath. The peace of God that transcends all understanding washes over you and guards your heart and your mind in Christ. 
What a beautiful place. I know what David said. Greater is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Oh, the peace of God, that place of presence, that place of love and mercy. He says, I don't care what you've done. I love you. I love you. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest for your soul. God, he invites us into such a beautiful thing. Why wouldn't we trade all that we have for that? Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. It's a treasure. How many of you, when you were kids, you watched Goonies and you wanted to find a ship with gold? The kingdom of heaven is like a Goonie finding a ship of gold. That's a Holy Spirit-led symbolic (laughs) analogy. (laughs) The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Hey, I found this, this field. And think of this. He did the right thing. He knew what he had to do in order to acquire that treasure. He paid the price. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy kingdom of joy he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field because he realizes that all that he has fails in comparison to all that the treasure is and if we can get to the place and ask the father to bring us to the place to where we could see our our world and our things and our life and our self and our thoughts and our desires and our hopes and our dreams if we can see them through the lens of the kingdom, that we might see that all that is selfish, all that is sinful, all that is soulish, all that needs to die, all that has held us captive, all of our idols, all of our crutches, all of our vices, all of our oppression, our hurts, our pain, our guilt, our sorrow, that all of that fails in comparison to what he has for us. Why wouldn't we say, yes, Lord, take I don't want that. I want this. I want this. And this is what Jesus was doing when he was talking to his disciples. And he was walking with crowds and many, many people began to follow Jesus. And he turned around. He realized that, hey, there's people following me. I better check their hearts. Make sure they're following me for the right reason. Turns around and looks at him. He says, well, unless you hate your mother, brother, father, and sister, uncle, baby, mama, all right, that's not what Jesus said. That's like the hood message version. But he says, unless you hate, you cannot be my disciple. In the same sense, unless you hate your very own life, you cannot be my disciple. How many people do you think walked away at that point in time? But it's because they didn't have perspective and they didn't have an accurate comparison of their world versus the kingdom of heaven, which is a spiritual kingdom. can't see it with our physical eyes, but we experience it with our spirit. We're made in the likeness of the Father. And there are things in heaven that have been made manifest on earth that are a shadow and a pattern of what is in heaven. We're made in the image of the Father. Our body has eyes and ears and a nose and a mouth, and we can taste and touch and smell and experience. And I would say in the same way, you can see with your spiritual eyes. He who has eyes, right? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. We can hear with our spiritual ears. If you believe in your heart, 
There's a spiritual heart. We can experience the presence of the Father. The aroma of Christ we can smell with our spiritual nose. And what I believe the kingdom of heaven is like, it's like saying, all that I see and all that I know fails in comparison to what the reality and the truth is of who we are in Christ Jesus and the Father's love for us. The kingdom of heaven is... We need to begin to see things in a spiritual way and quit consuming this Christian walk and relationship through our flesh and our soul. We come to a place where we allow the spirit and the reality of the kingdom to rule over our mind and our heart and our strength and our soul. It's not easy by any means. But we can, we can start with an act of repentance. And so um, I hope you guys knew what you were getting into with a two-hour service. This is just, this will be our environment. I don't want to be in a hurry. I don't want you to be in a hurry. Um, Christine is going to come up, and she's going to lead us in a time of repentance. And so she'll talk a little bit more about what this is going to be like. We'll do it corporately. You can do it individually. Um, But here's where the functionality and the discomfort comes. Where we say, I will die to self. Right? I'll bring my mind, my will, my emotions into submission of what the Spirit wants, what the kingdom wants to do here today. The Father wants to administer what is is true and and real in heaven And he wants to administer that and pour it out into the earth in this place. And this is where the functional part comes. This is where we engage in a moment where we go to the Father and we begin to confess. We say, I've held on to these things. These are my possessions. These are the things that own me. And I want to be your disciple. And let me just tell you that Jesus had people leave the crowd. And there might be people here who aren't in that place it doesn't mean that they won't get to that place. And so Christine's going to lead us. I'm going to be available. Kim's going to be available. If you guys need personal prayer, that kind of thing, you can do that. Uh, you can come see us. But I'm going to give this over to Christine, and she's going she's to do her best to um, come in line with the heart of the Father to, in this place, create a time and an environment where we can actually do what the Scripture's telling us to do. Of course, you can leave and do it, but we want to provide the opportunity. I could speak an hour, two hours on why you should repent. And there are some churches who will tell you, go repent, and then never give you the opportunity to do it or teach you how to obey all that Jesus commanded. Jesus commanded repentance, and it's our hope in this moment that we teach you how to obey that. Everybody okay with that? All right. Well, um, I'm sure you guys know that as Jesus was crucified, the veil was torn. And the veil was torn in the temple from, um, to lead, that leads, well, that's right in between um, everyone and the Holy of Holies. And so that, was, that happened so that we could come face to face with the Father. And so if we don't take the opportunity to come face to face with the Father, then we're missing out on what he did for us. 
And so what we're going to do is we're going to come face to face with the Father. And so open the eyes of your heart and let's come before him. And we're just going to, by faith, step through the veil and we're going to present ourselves to the Father. And I don't know about you, um, I found out that, um, that I didn't have to wait till I was dead to be judged, that he's our just judge now. And so um, I'm going to present myself, and I hope you feel led to do the same. Um, but we're going to open up to where everyone can do this. Um, this is not going to be an interactive time or anything. Um, you don't need to to say anything out loud, but this is a time that we're going to lay ourselves out before him, and we are going to admit our guilt like we're walking into a courtroom, and we're, as he is our judge, Jesus is our advocate, kind of like our attorney, if you will, and so he fills in the gap for us, but because we stand under his covering, when we present ourselves as guilty, we can then have our sin judged under his covering, and God will show us that we are not guilty. And so this is a beautiful thing because what also happens is the other side, the accusers, get to come into the court. And they get to say all the reasons that we're guilty. And we admit our guilt, and God not only judges us as not guilty, but if you know how it works, when we're judged as not guilty, our sin is completely washed away as if it never happened. When that happens, the enemy then has no right to us because our sin never happened. And so then the enemy is judged as guilty for coming against not guilty sons of God. And so anyway, we're going to do this together and I, you will never feel the freedom until you get that judgment of not guilty. And so let's just do this. We don't want to say... Hey, hey, brother, I'm guilty of this. We're coming to the Father to say this. This is something that is different than just admitting our sins to one another. So as we just do this, we're going to um, just commit our imaginations to Jesus. So Jesus, just take our imaginations and sanctify them. Make them holy and set apart for you. We want only to see and hear and experience the things that you want to show us in heaven. And so right now, Jesus, we just come before you. Take our hand and lead us into the court before the Father. We are so thankful that, that we are your bride and that we can engage in our marriage covenant with you and that you will be our advocate and you'll be the one who fills in every gap for us that we don't understand. And so, Jesus, just lead us under your covering as we engage in our marriage covenant with you, just like the Jews stand under that hoopah, that covering when they get married. We want to stand under your covenant, your covering, that sacrifice, that love, and we stand under that, your blood sacrifice for us. And Father, we just want to honor you with who you are. You're the one just judge. You're high above all. You're more righteous than anything that we could imagine or ever hope to be. And we know that you see the truth and that you can force the truth to come out of us and you can force the truth to come out of the enemy. But we want to willingly lay our truth out. And so right now, God, we just want to admit our guilt 
And we ask that you judge us to life. And so right now, I'm just going to admit my guilt out loud. But you guys, if you will just admit your guilt to God, admit it to him. God, I say I'm guilty of walking in my own ways. Of hoarding the things of the earth. I'm guilty. I don't want to partner with that anymore. God, I don't want to just um, be living for man's approval. I want to only be living for your approval. So I trade in that, that approval of man for your approval. I'm ready to be hated by man if it comes with your approval, God. Father, for the disrespect I've shown others, I just say I'm guilty. Please judge me to life. Father, we want to lay this all before you and say we're guilty of these things, but please judge us to life. Look at us under the, the hoopah of Jesus' love and sacrifice for us. And right now, we would, um, we would like to ask that all of the accusers be brought into the court, all of uh, the enemy who, you know, your word says that they... They go and they look up 
the things that we've done to bring a case against us. And so we ask that they bring that case against us right now. Force them to speak the truth. And we want to agree with our adversary quickly. And so if there's anything that you hear that comes up, even that may not make sense, you know, it says in the Bible that the, the sins of the father are passed down from generation to generation. And so even if it doesn't make sense to you, there's sin that's passed down in our bloodline. And we want to just admit our guilt and have it cut off. We don't want that to continue anymore. And so um, if there's anything that you hear, um, feel free to speak it out. Um, it may be for you and it may be for somebody else. Entitlement guilty. False identity. Father, for all of this, we want to turn away. We want to break every agreement we've made by, uh, on purpose or by accident with the enemy. And we just want to turn away from these things. We're not just saying we're sorry. We're completely turning away. That's not something we want to be a part of. We only want your kingdom. 
We know that all of that leads to death anyway. And so we want to trade it for life. And Father, even for everything that we have willingly given up, or things we have lost to the enemy, even things that were stolen from us from the enemy, we ask that they all be returned back to us, even from our family, that we ask that they've all that it all be just returned back to us with interest. But we don't want it for our benefit. We want it for your glory, God. And so we know that um, we just lay out these these things, um, these situations to you in our life. And we ask that you redeem them. And that we know your word says that you work everything back to the glory. I mean, back together for the good of those who love you and who are called according to your purpose. But God, we want your glory and our good to come from it. And right now, um, if there's any offense in you, anything that uh, you need to forgive, maybe it was yesterday or maybe it was when you were a little kid. Just bring that to the Father and forgive those people. Because we want the forgiveness as we forgive. So just picture those people on your mind who need your forgiveness. I commit these people to you right now, God. And we ask for your blessing to come on them. We ask for mercy. We forgive them, for we know they didn't know what they were doing. Even when they thought they knew, they didn't know. So God, just please pour out your spirit on them. We want this whole situation to be turned around for your glory, so that they would see what they've done and be able to come running to you. Thank you, Lord. Right now, we would just, we would like, God, for you to remember that you promised that we already have the full inheritance and so, God, we ask that that just be revealed in us. We also know that you promised um, that, that Jesus was sent to bring us abundant life. And so we want that abundant life. And we want your, your kingdom to be poured out in the earth in a way that that shakes things up, God. And we want to be used by you. We want to be your vessels to bring it forth, even if it's hard. And Father, right now we just ask for your verdict and that it be read before the court.
if you heard that gavel, but that was a not guilty. Thank you, Lord. We love you. And thank you for that guilty for the enemy. Right now we ask that you send your angels in to bind the enemy and to mark them for coming against us so that they won't be able to come against us again. We trust your judgment for them, and so we just ask that they be taken away to wherever you want them to go. And for us, God, right now, we just, uh, we, we want to go with Jesus, and we want to have this written into our lives. And we even ask for your angels to be released, to start outworking this on the earth. And we know that we can declare and decree from heaven into the earth your promises, God. And so right now, I just declare freedom from sin. I declare that there will be joy and peace and patience and gentleness and self-control. And that all of these things of the Spirit will go forth into our lives. They will cover our lives. There will be provision in our lives. There will be a joy and and just a passion, an unbridled passion that is, is poured out in our lives for intimacy with you. Thank you, God. Thank you for letting all of this come forth and for letting your glory just shine. I see this, it's this bright, shining light. And here comes a wave. There's just this wave. I feel like it's, it's mercy. It's a wave that's just rushing over us, and we receive. We receive it, God. Thank you, Lord. Sometimes it's overwhelming, but we receive you. Thank you for letting your spirit outwork in us. And we receive your power. We don't want to be like the Pharisees who, who know these things and deny the power. We receive your power because we want to be vessels for you. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, thank you so much for leading us in and for, for loving us and doing this, your sacrifice for us. And we are just so thankful for you. We love you, love you, love you. We want to keep our eyes and our hearts focused in the heavens as we continue to, to be here in the natural even open our eyes to what's happening in the spirit around us. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So this is, uh, just so you know, this is not a one-time thing. This is something you can do any time when you're with the Lord. In fact, you probably should. <laughs> this is something that um, I find myself doing all the time. At first, it's a lot, and then it's just as soon as something happens, I feel led to go back and, and repent. And so, anyway, feel free to do this anytime.